You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Help me to never, never, never forget what I'm going to hear tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now look at the person next to you. Say, hey, you've lost weight, haven't you? And you can be seated. Amen. You're not lying. You're speaking faith. Amen. I don't know if you made a New Year's resolution, but I stopped making New Year's resolutions because, you know, everybody wants to stay in shape. Do you ever realize round is a shape? Amen? Just thought I'd give that as a revelation there. Uh, I had this other revelation regarding that. Um, you know, you realize, if you've ever read the book of Acts, uh, uh, Peter, you know, the apostle Peter, uh, at one point it, it says that he would, the, the people in the area would lay out the sick and the demon-possessed so that his shadow would pass over them, and as the shadow passed over, they would get healed, the demons would come out. Amen? How many of you ever remember reading that? Right, it's in the Bible. Uh, And I was thinking, you know what? Actually, the bigger you are, the more shadow, the more ministry. Amen. I just was uh, just having that as a revelation. I actually flew here next to a guy who uh, could have had a citywide revival. But anyway, that's another story. Um, uh, I want to share a couple of things. Thank you. Just by frame of reference, I could explain something. Um, I'm thankful that Jesus sent me here, and I'm so grateful to him, and I give him praise and glory for that. And I'm thankful to the Lord, um, you know, when I go to places that can give, so thank you so much for your giving. You help me to go to places that they can't give. Now, we encourage them to give because they need to learn those principles because you learn to give not when you have everything. You give, and you learn that when you travel around the world. But what you're actually helping with, and I have like a a need that's around $10,000 to help me with planting of house churches and speaking to groups of people that you'll never hear about but that are talked about in heaven and to minister to people who don't have anything. And so just for you to know, that's where that goes. So it's going to enable me over the next weeks, I'm going to be you know, speaking to a large numbers of those people. And so I'm really thankful for that. And that's where your giving is going. So thank you. And that's what you're sowing into. So, so bless you for that. Now, I want to I wanna cover a, a bunch of things. So if you'll just indulge me here. I was actually kind of inspired at lunch. Uh, <laughs> Alyssa said something that was really uh, actually the Lord used because I wasn't sure. Uh, I prayed, fasted, and sought the Lord in regards to coming here and sharing, and the Lord downloaded a bunch of things into me. And so it's in my spirit, but it's not always in my head until I actually speak, and then it all comes out. Uh, And so I want to kind of give everybody a frame of reference. Um, You were created by God. Can I get an amen? Genesis chapter one, the Bible tells us that uh, God created them, Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them, and he created them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God made Adam and Eve and gave them the entire planet. Now, I want you to understand something, that Adam and Eve were nothing like you and me. They became like you and I are now after they sinned, but before they sinned, they were nothing like us. Adam and Eve were spiritual beings who had physical bodies. But the truth is, we are carnal creatures because of the fall, because of sin, and we are attempting to become spiritual. The reality is, if you ever notice what happens in Genesis, God gave them this mandate. He created them. Like, you were made by God. You are not the descendant of a monkey. Just because you like banana bread means nothing. Amen? 
the fact is, and I'm sorry, I, I move around, so if, there's, if that's filming, it's unfortunate. But anyway, um, the, uh, the, the fact is, is that, is that you are created by God, and you are not created by God to walk around terrified and afraid of things. You are not. You are created to subject circumstances, to be the subjector of circumstances, not to be subject to circumstances. God didn't create you to live in fear. God created you to live in a power and an anointing and, and to live with your shoulders back, your chin up. He is the glory and lifter up of your head, the Bible tells us, to walk around like you own the place because you do. God made us and designed us for that purpose. That's why we are created and, and designed that way. But then a problem happened. When you read in Genesis chapter three, as you continue on in reading the Bible, Genesis chapter three, verses six through nine, there's an issue. Because what happens is they decided to do what God had forbidden. So Eve gives Adam the fruit of the tree. And he takes of that tree and eats. And, and as they're eating in that process, all of a sudden, they kind of run away from God. God comes walking into the garden and makes this comment, and you can read this in Genesis 3, 6 through 9. God makes the comment, and God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? You know, they discovered that they were naked. They go jump in the trees and bushes, and, they, uh, and God says, where are you? Now, I was not a Christian the first time I read the Bible. I didn't even believe in God. You know, when you're Greek, you're raised basically in philosophy. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates are all my relatives. Amen. And most of them own little snack shops because what else would you do? We're Greeks. We own restaurants. Amen. Right? Uh, and I do love to cook, by the way. And yes, I cannot give blood because Greek people cannot give blood because they have discovered when they take Greek blood, put it into any other other ethnic group, that ethnic group desires to quit their jobs and open a restaurant, and we can't have that happening. Amen. Um, I did share at one church, Pastor brought up uh, Finland uh, this morning and, and said it again tonight. I did bring up at one church I was at, I said, I'm one of God's two uh, favorite people groups because Jesus came first for the Jew and then for the, and everybody shouted, Greek. And I said, and I'm the one he came for. Amen. Well, a man with an accent, this is in Minot, North Dakota, a man with an accent came up to me and said to me, he goes, No, my brother, no. God's favorite people in the Bible are from Finland. And he was from Finland, <laughs> right? And I said, where is that in the Bible? And he said, his final words on the cross, it is finished. Hallelujah, amen. <laughs> that was his joke. Okay, so <laughs> don't judge the messenger. All right, um, so uh, what happened is, is that uh, God, you know, on, this, on that particular day, when I first read Genesis 3, 6 through 9, I had a problem. I had a big problem because, you know, I was told to believe in this awesome and mighty God. These guys had given me a Bible, told me to read it. The Bible they gave me was the kind of Bible you should never give to anybody. It was a complete, like, like a Bible that thick, not a family Bible. It was a Bible that thick that the first 200 pages had to do with archaeological principles and principles of Bible translation. It was so dry and so dead, I, I literally thought to myself, this is why these people call themselves Christians look like they're continually constipated. I mean, this is what they read. Then I got to Genesis, and that was a rock group that ages me. And so I'm like, okay, then maybe this is better. I thought it was the book of Job, and that's where Christians try, cried out to their God to get a job. You know, the fact is, I read Gen I actually read Leviticus as an unsaved guy. I remember reading Leviticus thinking, what does their God have against sheep, <laughs> right? But I read Genesis 3, 6 through 9, and when I read this about Adam and Eve running around naked, not knowing they were naked and all the rest, when that, that happened and that God said, where are you? I closed up this Bible they gave me, went upstairs, interrupted a prayer meeting they were having in their dorm room, threw the Bible on one of the guy's beds, say, it's just the word of man, it's just another bogus thing, like all this other stupid stuff. You know, atheism, you can do whatever you want, whatever, who cares? You know, uh, have a nice life. And I went around to leave when the guy grabbed me at the door, turned me around and said, Dean, what is wrong with you? And trust me, I get that a lot to this.
this day, right? What's wrong with you? And I looked at him and I said, well, the Bible's full of contradictions based on Genesis 3, 6 through 9. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I said, the bottom line is, I said, how could two people be running around naked and not know they're naked? Did they never peek? I mean, for goodness sake, if, you know, if pastor was up here naked, we would know it. I've just realized I'm painting a bad mental picture. Sorry, be cleansed. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, if somebody's naked and they're standing in front, you know it. What did they not look down or whatever? They had kids. Come on, they knew they were naked, you know? So why, I said, how could they not know they're naked? That's number one. Number two, I said to him, I said, you're telling me to serve this God who knows everything about me. This God who's omniscient, which means all-knowing, who's omnipotent, which means all-powerful, who's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, always, at all times. Those are the three omnis about God. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. There's also the Dodge Omni. That was a really bad car. But anyway, the bottom line is the three omnis. I said, if that's true about God, how come he comes walking into the garden and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? How come he can't literally find the only two people he's made? Amen? He made two people. It's like, where are you? They're hiding. He cries Marco. They don't cry Polo and he can't find them. And I'm supposed to serve a God like that. And they looked at me, and I'll never get the guy. He just looked at me and goes, Dean, Dean, Dean. And I trust me, I get that a lot to this day. <laughs> Dean. And then, you know, he looks at me, and he explains something to me. And what he explained to me 39 years ago, I'm going to explain to you very simply, all right? He said, Dean, first off, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created perfect the way God designed humanity to be. They didn't have sin in them. And they were created with Holy Spirit in them out of the box, they explain, he explained to him, he goes, listen, they, they walked around and, and he brought me to the New Testament, uh, that wonderful text where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mount called by theologians, the Mount of Transfiguration. And going up to that mountain, the Bible tells us that Jesus began to glow. The glow that Jesus had was the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And they, their eyes were open so they could see it. He said, when Adam and Eve were created, they literally looked at each other and saw that glow. And now this is important for you to understand. Adam and Eve, like I told you, were very different than us because they didn't start with sin, you and I did. They started perfect. They could do something that we're striving to do. They could see physically and spiritually at the same time. We need to be able to see physically and spiritually at the same time. We need to be a people living in this world and yet having spiritual visions and eyes to see. Can I get an amen? Right? We need to be able to do that. Listen, I mean, many years ago, and this is a long time ago, an old testimony, but I, I was flown in by six different youth groups to speak, and I was speaking at these youth groups, and, and they brought this young lady up to me, uh, to make a long story short, they brought this young lady up to me. Uh, she was 16 years old, had attempted suicide like 22 times. She was in a local mental institution. They didn't know what to do with her. She had been a genius in trying to off herself. And they, and they came up to me, and it was a weird grouping of people. There were three ladies who were older than her, and they all came up like in a little group of people. They're all shuffling up to me because the only way they got her out of that institute was because one of them was a spirit-filled lady who had, who had heard about our ministry, and she wasn't part of the Assemblies of God like I am, but she was a spirit-filled person. And, and, and when she realized that this youth meeting and this young lady, 16, was happening and she was familiar with our ministry, she said, I'm going to bring her there and to talk to the doctor. And the doctor said, well, yeah, but you have to bring two other people, and you can't let her out of your sight and you have to have your hands on her at all time. Are you getting the picture? Right? So they bring her and they brought her up to me and asked me if I would pray for her because they didn't know what to do with her because no treatment was working and she was trying to off herself. 16 years old trying to kill yourself. 
And, and I, I didn't know what to pray. Look, people bring people up to you and I want to pray. I want to pray effectively. So what I do is I start praying in tongues. I start praying in tongues because I know this prayer according to the will of God. I, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit here. But I, I, I started praying in tongues. I put my hand on her head like a diagnostic machine, <laughs> right? And I ask God as I'm praying in tongues, Lord, how do I pray for her? What do I pray? A healing in her brain. Do I rebuke the devil? Is she walking in rebellion? Do I need to lead her to Christ? I mean, how do I pray? No revelation whatsoever after praying in tongues over her for about five minutes. And thought, okay, I'm just going to pray. Forgive me for how this sounds. I'm just going to pray a general prayer over her and ask Jesus to intervene in her life. So uh, my eyes have been closed. So I took my hand off of her head, opened up my eyes when I saw it. It was standing on her shoulder. It was about three feet high. For want of a better description, it looked like a hairy monkey, except its arms were proportionately longer than its body, and both of its arms were around her head. And the thing was hissing at me. I mean, it had fangs, and it's hissing at me. And, and what then transpired happened, bim, bada, boom. It happened as if it was a knee-jerk reaction on my part. All it was was the gift of discerning of spirits operating and kicking in at that point. That's one of the supernatural gifts that gets downloaded into you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, that gift, which is the one that tells you whether you're dealing with something that's of this world, something that's of the flesh, or something that's of God, or something that's of the devil, and so it kicked in and my eyes were open and I saw this demon and I said, get out of here in the name of Jesus. That's all I did. I waved my hand to this day. I don't remember if I touched anything or not. I have no idea. I can't remember. Not that that's important. That thing jumped off of her shoulder, let go of her head. She collapsed to the ground. People started piling on top of her and I watched that thing never touch the ground and dematerialize through the wall and leave the building. And I'm looking at it going, what was that? And they're jumping there. Young people are jumping on her. Some youth workers are jumping on this girl, laying hands on her. She had shrieked and she's down on the ground. The two unsaved mental health case workers were freaking out. The lady who was filled with the spirit, she was rejoicing because she knew something good had just happened. The other two are trying to call the police. I mean, it was fun. <laughs> And so anyway, it, it, you know, and I thought, well, praise God, they all seem to be handling it. I'm going to go pray for other people. And so I went down the line. And, and later on, the young lady came up to me, and you could tell the way she addressed me, what her background was, when she said, Father, I'd like to thank you. And I'm like, Luke, I'm not your father. No, sorry. I, I, uh, I, I said, no, I'm not Catholic. Please uh, forgive me. Uh, I'm not that. Just call me Dean. And so um, she said, well, I just want to thank you. And this is what she said. Nobody else saw that except me that thing on her shoulder. She said, she goes, you know, she goes, all my life I felt a pressure around my head and a voice, and she was pointing to the ear of the shoulder that it was sitting on. I don't know if that's what she was trying to signify. She just told me that she goes, I've heard a voice telling me, you're no good, kill yourself, you're no good, kill yourself ever since I can remember. But I don't hear that voice anymore. Except when I came off the ground, she goes, and I'm talking in a funny language. I mean, Jesus saved her and filled her right there. She said when she came up, she goes, I did hear one other voice. And of course, that's a red flag. You're like, uh, yeah, what, what was that about? They asked her. I said, what was that about? And she said, she goes, it was different. It's a voice I, I've never heard before. It just said, it's okay, you're mine now. 16 years old. Never went back to stuff. Joined the youth group of that church. Never went back, was completely delivered and set free. I saw spiritually and physically at the same time. That's our goal in life. Our goal in life is to hear the voice of God, to be able to talk to people and hear him whispering at our ear, in our ear at the same time, to be able to look at people and not look at things in a carnal perspective, but look in a spiritual perspective. Amen? You know how bad this is? By the way, what I'm sharing, you know how bad it is? We've actually made it an insult, something that should be our goal. 
Oh, you think you're so spiritual. Oh, you know, people are so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. No, they're so earthly minded, they're no good for anybody on earth or in the spirit. The more spiritually minded you are, the better you are on this earth. We need spiritually minded people, not earthly minded. We need people who can think godly thoughts in the midst of chaos and all the rest. You know, yeah, I didn't mean, you're like, oh, no, that's bogus. No, it's not bogus. You want to have? Give what you have away. That's stupid. No, that's spiritual. Did you hear me? So in Genesis 3, he's explaining this to me. He goes, Dean, he goes, they could see spiritually and physically. So every day when they looked at each other, they saw this glow. Adam and Eve saw this glow on them. It was the covering of the Holy Spirit because they came out of the box with the Holy Spirit. And when they sinned, they were separated from God. And when they were separated from God, the Spirit of God left them. And they were reduced down to the physical realm and they lost their ability to see spiritually. Did you hear what I just said? You're right? You, you know this because if you've ever read your Bible, it says this in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And he said when they were separated from God, the Spirit of God left them. And when they left, they're looking at each other physically and they went, ah, we're naked. And they tied fig leaves. I was going to say trees, that would hurt. Anyway, um, they tried fig leaves together and covered themselves. Did you hear me? They did that, which is, by the way, why God comes walking into the garden and says, where are you? He knew where they physically were. He also knew they were spiritually separated. They were separated from him. And our Bible tells us this in Isaiah, right? 59, right? It says this. It says, God's eye is not blind, his ear is not deaf, nor is his arm too short to save you. But your sins have caused a separation between you and your God. So he cannot see, cannot hear, and cannot deliver. That's why he said, where are you? And from that moment forward in Genesis 3, verse 9 and on, in biblical and world history, God is up to two things. Everybody say two things. Say it again. Two, not just one. Many of you think it's just one, and you're wrong. God wants to deal with the sin issue, forgive them, have a restored relationship, and fill them once again with the Holy Spirit. He wants to restore mankind to the place that he gave them. Now, this is something you need to flow with me on. I'm going to quote. I realize there's no way I could do this. I'm just going to throw a ton of Bible verses at you, all right? And a bunch of things that you've, you've read and piece it all together, if you don't mind, all right? The fact is, is when God created Adam and Eve, like I told you, he said, I want to give you the planet. And in essence, this is what God was communicating. He said this, I am God who created everything. I'm your God and God of everything. But I've created the earth and everything on it, and I'm giving it to you. And as I am God to you and, listen, you submit to me, then you will be God, small g, over the earth because I'm giving you the earth. In fact, they addressed Jesus, and he said, didn't they address this? Because you remember, they got on him because he said, I'm God. He revealed himself as God come in the flesh. And then he said, don't you understand to them that the word of God came? They're called gods. He's quoting something in the Psalms, and it's related to what I'm talking to you about. The reality is we're not God. We're never gonna be God. There's no such thing as us being God. There's only one God. Can I get an amen? But in positional authority, God gave us the planet. The next time I hear somebody say, well, what has God done for me? I'm gonna look at you and tell you the truth. He gave you the earth. What more do you want? <laughs> he gave you the entire universe. What more do you want? He gave us everything. So he put Adam and Eve in an interesting position. I need you guys. Can I, can I, here, come, come. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Oh, the good looking guy. Okay, this is, uh, this is how it flows, okay? I got Adam and Eve right here, right? Adam and Eve right here. <laughs> right, I got Adam and Eve. In fact, I'm gonna put you right over here. Put you here. Come on, Adam and Eve right here. No, you're Adam and Eve. You're playing two people. All right. All right. Adam and Eve right here. Here's the earth, okay? In its neophyte stage. Here is God. <laughs> see, you need to obey your husband. All right, amen. So I want you to see this, right? I want you to see this. When God made Adam and Eve, he gave them a privileged position. He gave them this middle ground. In other words, God said, as you, Adam and Eve, submit to me, everything on earth submits to you. Got it? All right? And yes, yeah, there's method to my madness, yes, in a marriage, <laughs> right? You're seeing a flow of authority here, okay? But, you know, that's another little side thing. But I want you to follow this, okay? The devil rebelled against God. That was stupid, <laughs> right? The devil rebelled against God, and that was a dumb fight because basically the fight of the devil against God would be the equivalent and this is the nearest I could come to it, of a 99% dead ant that's missing all but one of its legs and half of its body, trying to fight the combined military and nuclear forces and powers of the entire universe. And even that is not doing enough justice to how unfair that fight was. Are you hearing me? When you read in the book of Revelation, you're going to read about how a mere angel, if you could call an angel mere, grabs the devil with one hand. It's not even an archangel, just some unnamed little angel grabs the devil with one hand and with one, it has a chain in the other hand. That's how powerless he is. All of his power that you think is so great and the movies convince you is so great is literally in deception alone. Are you hearing me? It is not even, it's not like, well, we just have a little bit more power than the devil. No, there's more power and authority in your pinky than the entire kingdom of the devil combined if you're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. The devil gets kicked out, flicked like a booger out of, why did I even say that? Why did I say that? <laughs> anyway, he gets flipped and, and, and you know, he snorted out of God's nostrils and he's, he ends up down on earth. He's mad. He cannot do anything. He can't fight God, that's over. That was a dumb idea and he realizes it and he also realizes his time is short. So what does the devil do? I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fight God's image on earth. I'm gonna deceive Adam and Eve. That's who I'm going after. Because what's he after? He's after this middle ground. He's after this middle ground so he could become what the Bible now tells us because when he got Adam and Eve to sin and now they've lost the spirit of God, and now they don't have this authority anymore, what happens? What happens is now the devil, you can go sit down, right? Now the devil, I'm playing the devil, dark guy with a beard. Um, the, the devil, right? The devil comes in and now he's taken that privileged position and according to the Bible, that's why your Bible says in the New Testament he's the prince in the power of the air. Now I want you to understand something. We, humanity, kicked God out of the system. The God of this world, according to what the Bible teaches us, is the devil, but then God wants to be the, God is the God of everything. This is where people struggle, really big time. And doctrinally speaking, it's just stupid. They're like, well, God is sovereign. What you're saying, no, God is sovereign. Yes, God is sovereign. He's sovereign, but he created the system to work in a particular way. And when he created the system, he only had two options when Adam and Eve sinned and gave control of everything to the devil. God had two choices. Number one choice, obliterate everything and start from scratch. 
He didn't want to do that because he loved everything. He was pleased with everything that he made and he didn't want to do that. So he decided he would work through the second means, his plan B. His plan B was that he would come in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, deliver humanity and redeem all of the earth and all these other things that he had created out of love. That's what he decided to do. Amen? So now he's got to figure out how to do that, and the way he's going to do that, he's going to come himself, but he's going to work through faith because he created the system, and he could get in there by invitation. Amen? We were talking at lunch and having a great time, and in the midst of talking at lunch, one of my pet peeves is when people say, well, you know, praying. You know, God's going to do whatever he's going to do, whether you pray or not. That is a lie of the devil. Unless you pray, God can do nothing. Did you hear what I just said? When we're spiritually dead, we're a people of the earth. We're separated from God. But when we become spiritually alive and are born again, and when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we now reside in this wonderful position. And as we, as we pray and see God, God moves through us back into the earth that he was exiled from by our sin. Did you hear what I just said? You guys can be seated. All right. Listen to what I'm saying. What ends up happening is God's now got to work. That's why from Genesis 3, 9 and on, God is up to two things. He wants to not only save people and have relationship, but he wants back into the earth its supernatural power and authority. And prayer then becomes interesting because here's the thing. When you're not living for Jesus, when you're in sin, when you don't know Christ and you're, you're not born again, you're a resident of this earth. But the minute you get born again and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can become a powerful dual resident. You are resident of two places at the same time. According to Philippians, our citizenship is in That's right. And the Bible tells us this. We've been raised up with him and seated with him in that's in Ephesians. Can I tell you that right now in Ephesians 3.10, your Bible says that the manifold wisdom of God is now made known through the church, the body of those that Jesus resides in, to the principalities, powers, and these rulers in these dark places. What is God trying to communicate? We have this privileged position. So from Genesis 3, 9 and on, Jesus, you know, God is trying to get, number one, he's going to come in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and deal with the sin issue, and he wants to get people filled with the Holy Spirit again. If you only minister to people and say, well, you just need to get saved, you're stopping short of what God has for humanity. God did not just say, well, I just want you saved and barely squeaking through life. No, God wants you restored to the privileged and honored position that he has for you. Royalty that runs this place because he's given it to you because you're his kid. Amen? Are you hearing me? That's why when you read through the Old Testament, you're reading dual prophecies. You're reading prophecies of a sacrifice, lamb and sacrifice and, and about blood for the shedding of blood. There's no for, uh, forgiveness of sins. And you're also reading about there's dry and barren land and a river's going to flow where there was no water. There's going to be fire. There's going to be oil. There's going to be. He's prophesying both things because he wants both of them. Because he wants to restore us to what Adam and Eve had. By the way, this is going to totally freaketh out at you. <laughs> King James own. It's going to freaketh out at you when you begin to realize Jesus said in Luke 24, right? I mean, John the ba even John, his cousin, looked and said, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He came to immerse you, to dunk you in. The Greek word baptize, vautizo, that Greek word means more than just immersion. It means to immerse in so as to change the character of. 
In other words, you baptize a bland cucumber into pickling spices and it becomes a perky, tasty pickle. Amen. God wants everybody good and pickled. Can I get an amen? <laughs> God wants to dunk you and immerse you, but you're also going to see Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you're clothed with power from on high. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden? Their clothes. What did Jesus come to bring back? The clothes they left in the garden. Amen? Peter, James, and John had their eyes open. They were able to see spiritually and physically for a moment. They saw that glow. They saw that. Did it ever occur to you that if you understand what I just said, you understand how prayer works? Prayer works. Look, uh, turn to Luke 11, please, in your Bible. Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching. He started in verse one on the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, he's teaching them to pray. So the Lord's prayer starts that chapter. When you, he then tries to explain to you to understand how prayer works. And I want you to understand this, so I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna front load this a little bit just for your benefit, all right? If you think about it, you're a dual resident. You are resident, right now, while you and I are here in this spot, we're also, in a very real sense, up in heaven as well. We, I'm simultaneously here and in heaven. I'm spiritually alive and a resident of heaven, seated at the right hand with Christ, and I'm down here physically as well. Because I'm a dual citizen, my parents are from Greece. Anytime I want to, I could apply and, and be a dual citizen of Greece, which means I have rights in Greece you don't have. If we went there and visited, I'd be able to do things and I have rights that you don't have. If you're a dual resident of heaven and earth, you also have access to things. You have access of the world that is one day gonna come in all its fullness, and you can now bring it into the world that now is. Let me ask you a heavy, heavy question. How is Jesus in the earth today? How is Jesus here in the earth? Because he lives in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he goes, I'm no longer in the world, but they are. That's a heavy revy. He meant that. He said, I'm not here, but they are. He's in the world because he lives in us. That's God invading this occupied territory, been occupied by the devil because we gave the devil our birthright of the earth. Are you hearing me? Right? So we gave it over. So God comes back in and he comes by invitation. So when you're spiritually alive, you have access because you are seated up there. You have access to bring what's up there into the earth that now is. If you think about yourself as a being, you're unique in the sense that if you're spiritually alive and filled with God's Holy Spirit, you're like a hose. Or if you're from Canada, you're a hoser. Amen. You have one end open in heaven and the other ends open on earth. Do you hear me? When you pray, that opens the spigot on the earth side so that all that's in heaven comes into the earth. If my brother here is sick, did it ever occur to you, why does he get healed when I pray for him? Because there's no sickness in heaven. There's an overlap of heaven into earth. It'll make you understand why Jesus said when he's speaking to his disciples, he makes this comment, he says, if you go to a town or a village, and I'm sending you there. Heal the sick that are in it. When you heal them, tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. In other words, the rule and reign of God, the kingdom that is one day gonna come in all its fullness, has now touched you. And where that kingdom touches you, only that which is of God is there. 
Why, why, if my brother's bound by something and, 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 and there's nobody to blow the trumpet for Joshua, what happens? <laughs> I had to go there. Um, what happens? Why is he set free when I pray for him? Because there's no curse in heaven. Why, if my brother here is sad and I pray for him, why does the joy of the Lord fill him? Because there's no mourning in heaven. Are you hearing me? There's an overlap through me into the earth that now is, so heaven comes into the earth. That's when you begin to realize the great tragedy in Ames, Iowa is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. If we opened up the spigot, if we prayed more than we criticized or strategized, we'd have the work of God happening. Amen? Are you hearing me? So then Jesus tries to explain to his disciples how prayer works. And in Luke 11, and I love the Gospel of Luke, it's my favorite of the Gospels. In Luke, he talks more about prayer and the Holy Spirit than the other Gospels. John obviously discusses the Holy Spirit in some detail, and he relates this. But you'll see more references to the Holy Spirit and certainly a lot more about prayer in the Gospel of Luke than you do in any of the other Gospels. And in Luke, he gives, starts with the Lord's Prayer. Then in verse five, he has the very most depressing start to a parable. He says, suppose you have a friend. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying that. Sounds, let's pretend you have a friend. Okay, all right. Um, um, let, he goes, suppose you have a friend, and he comes to him at midnight, and then he goes to another friend's house, and he says, look, can you give me some loaves of bread? If you read that parable, he says, as he's teaching how prayer works, he says, he goes, you know, he goes, uh, in this parable, there's a guy, this guy has a friend who's come to visit him. So he sits him down. Now, America used to be a lot more hospitable than it is. But when you're Greek, we know hospitality. If you come to my house, I'm going to feed you. You don't eat meat, that's okay, I make you lamb. <laughs> right. That's for anybody who watched my Big Fat Greek Wedding. We don't get vegans. But anyway, um, but welcome to our planet. Anyway, so hear this. Right? Um, the truth is, is that, you know, when you go and you travel, oh my gosh, I've been in so many countries in Africa. I missed the best one in Nigeria. But I, uh, I've been in Sudan, I've been, in, uh, I've been all over, right? I've been in, in, uh, in my life, I've been in 37 countries preaching the gospel, planting churches, and doing the work of God. And it's amazing, and what humbles you is when you go to places where people have nothing, how hospitable they are. How they open up their home, they'll roast peanuts for you, they'll give you coffee. You know, hey, listen, you need to make sure they cook you jollof rice at some point. I'm just gonna tell you that. I'm just gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna start saying all the food you need to make for everybody. But anyway, here, um, the fact is, is that one, they sit down and they will bless you. And they do that because of hospitality. So when Jesus tells this parable, he says this guy has a friend of his come at midnight and he doesn't have anything to put on the table. When Jesus says this, the entire crowd would have gone, do it with me. <gasps> that's what they would have done because that's a major faux pas. You have to put something on the table. You may not think if it's anything, oh, they could go out and eat something afterwards. That's not the way it works. You're supposed to be kind, generous, and hospitable, and feed the people in your home. So this is a major need. I just think it's interesting, isn't it, that what he's asking for is bread. And that's what the people of Ames, Iowa need. And the people of this world, they need the bread of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? So follow me when I say this, right? So he, this is a major thing. So the guy comes to his friend, the other friend's house while the other guy's chilling at the table. He goes to the other friend's house at midnight, starts knocking on the door. Hey, give me some bread. And what's the man's response? You have it open in front of you. Is it, yeah, of course. Is that what his response is? No, what's his response? 
What's his response? You have your Bible open. No, I can't. My children are with me in bed. Let me explain that to you. <laughs> How many of you are old enough to remember a Murphy bed? Does anybody know? Wonderful Murphy beds. Space saver. They're coming back. <laughs> Just unfortunately like bell bottoms. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, so the fact is, a Murphy bed is a way to save space. It may look like, it, there's several different kinds. In the days of Jesus, the homes were different than our homes. Many times, just one big room. And the family did everything together. Everything was in that room. There was a dry kitchen, a wet kitchen outside and all the rest. They kind of do it like that in some places of the world today. But here's the thing. The thing is, the bed usually was lifted into the rafters to remove it out of the way. But it was bedtime. The family slept in the bed together. Everybody. So they would lower the bed from the rafters. Everybody would jump in that bed. It would also keep the door from being open and anybody from sneaking through the door to get in. So basically, it was lowered in front of the door. The door opened inwards. It blocked the door. It also served as a headboard. So when the guy's knocking, he's knocking at their heads. And they're all sleeping in the same bed. So when the guy says, I can't do this because it's with difficulty that I would get you what you're asking me for through this door. By the way, that's an illustration that God wants you to know the answers to prayer that he provides for you did not come easy. He went through some drastic stuff so that you can ask boldly and he'll answer you. But it was not without a price to him. Amen? Now, everybody listen to me, okay? So he says, no, I'm not going to. And then in verse eight, I'm gonna tell you what it says. I'm gonna tell you exactly what it says and the way it's worded in your Bible, but you're still not gonna believe me. He says, I tell you the truth, though he will not get up and give him the bread because of his, uh, his friendship, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs because of his bold persistence. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question. I want you to answer me from your heart. Do you believe that God will answer your prayers because you're his kid and he loves you? Yes or no? Yes or no? The answer is no. That's not how answer to prayer comes. Answer to prayer comes because you don't take no for an answer. Your relationship with God gives you access. It's bold persistence that gives you answers. Benevolent thoughts do not constitute prayer, my friend. Having thoughts of what God should do for you is not praying. Praying requires asking, seeking, and knocking. You know, I was raised, word of faith is my initial background, you know, in Christianity. And, and they, you know, a lot of great things, confessing the word and other awesome stuff. But they lost it in the sense that they said, well, you know, if you ask for something once, if you ask for it again, you have no faith. That's bogus. It takes some of the most bold faith of all to say, I'm not going to stop standing on this promise until the answer actually comes. And I'm not stopping until you, God, tell me to stop asking. Jesus told parables about that. He told about a woman who kept going after a rotten judge and she kept pursuing and she wore him down. And he says, how much more do you think your father wants to answer this prayer? Jesus in verse eight literally tells you the guy is not gonna get up and give the guy the bread that he's asking for because of their friendship. He's gonna do it because the guy's not gonna take no for an answer because he's boldly persistent. He's gonna wake the house up. He's not gonna stop until he gets what he's asking for. That's verse eight. And he follows that up by saying this. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And the way it's written in the Greek with the Greek verb tenses is like this. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking finds. Or it gets answered. Everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. And then 
the weirdest thing. Which of you fathers, if your child asks him for a loaf of bread, will give him a scorpion? Or ask for an egg? We'll give him this. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? <gasps> Can I tell you right there? I know exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about praying in tongues. You're like, how on earth? No, that's a leap. This doesn't say that. Yeah, because when you get saved, you're not asking for the Holy Spirit. And like many of you know, when you get saved, the Spirit of God is the one who puts Jesus inside of you. When you get born again, the Spirit of God is put as a deposit in you. This context, since everybody gets into context, and by the way, a little side thing about context, make sure your biblical context is that, biblical, meaning the whole Bible, cover to cover. There are people who say, well, contextually speaking, this is, you know, this is the context here in this book of the Bible, and they come up with something that sounds good because they're looking at it contextually, but it contradicts what the Bible says from cover to cover. You need to think whole Bible context. I had a friend look at me and, you know, I have, I have a lot of friends. We talk about Jesus stuff all the time. He was a Baptist. Now you could call him a Baptocostal. <laughs> and we were having this discussion and he looked at me and he said, he goes, man, do, there's no more miracles today, Dean. They stop. We don't need them anymore. Once the Bible came into existence and he quoted the verse in 1 Corinthians that says that when the perfect comes, there will be no longer any of these things. And he says, the perfect came, that's the doctrine of the Bible. When that came, we don't need tongues. You don't need prophecy anymore. That's all that's there. I said, I noticed that you never quote that verse correctly. He goes, I'm quoting it. I said, no. I said, take out your Bible, read it. Read it out loud so I can hear it. We're at Starbucks drinking coffee because that's what Jesus would do. And so we're, we're drinking coffee and he looks at me, he goes, you know, then, you know, all that remains is faith, hope, and love. I said, now read the, what it says before that. He goes, the, the, you know, where there are tongues, they will cease where there are prophecies, they'll be done away with. And where there's knowledge, it will be no more. I said, so you always quote the first two, but you never quote knowledge. He goes, so? I said, well, that means that knowledge no longer exists, so doesn't that mean you can't possibly know what you're talking about? <laughs> and he looked at me, because we're good friends, we're really good friends, and he looked at me, he goes, did I ever tell you I hate you? <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, let me see if I got this right. You're saying the devil could do whatever he wants to do. He does signs, wonders, and miracles, that's all the devil, because... He's deceiving people away from the Bible. Yes, but Jesus can do nothing anymore. That's right. So the devil can do whatever he wants to do miraculously, but Jesus cannot do a single thing that's miraculous anymore. Even in answer to prayer, yes. I looked at him, and we have a coffee up like this, dead silence for 30 seconds. And I looked at him, I said, do you have a problem with what you just said out loud? He said, yes. <laughs> when you hear it coming out of your own mouth, and I said, the final thing to him. I said, I have one last thing. He goes, I don't think I want to hear it. I said, you don't. <laughs> I said, if what you said is true and it ceased and all the rest, shouldn't the book of Revelation read different? And he looked at me and goes, what do you mean? I said, well, the book of Revelation is an account of what's going to happen at the end, right? He said, yeah. I said, shouldn't it read that there weren't angels? I mean, the book of Revelation is one of the most miraculous books in the Bible. I said, why does God have to dust off all these miracles if all he needed? Shouldn't it just read that there were two witnesses who got up and just shared out of the Bible and everybody believed it? Why is it the most miraculous book in the Bible? He goes, I really do hate you. Two weeks later, he got filled with the Holy Spirit and started praying in tongues. Listen to me. I know Jesus is talking about tongues in Luke 11. Why? He's been teaching on prayer. And he says, there's going to come a time in the context of prayer, in the context of asking, seeking, and knocking, when you're going to ask me for the Holy Spirit, and I want you to know, if you ask, you're going to get him. 
Now, a couple of things. I know it's talking about tongues because that's the way the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. Now, I'm gonna share something you're not gonna like. It's still true. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, you're weak and you don't have a clue as to how you ought to pray. You don't know how to pray. Most of us pray from our perspective. Now, please forgive me. I'm sure your grandmother was a godly saint and loved Jesus. I got that. I got it. We just went through the holiday season over the river, through the woods. You went to her house. (laughs) I got it. I don't care if she glows at night. She's still weak and doesn't know how to pray as she should. But Billy Graham, weak and doesn't know how to pray as he should. Reinhard Bonnke, weak and didn't know how to pray as he should. Name whoever it is. We're all human. We're weak and we don't know how to pray. We're always praying from an earthly perspective. God wants us to pray from that heavenly perspective. We've been raised and seated up with him in heavenly places. He wants us to pray from up there. Well, how can I do that? By praying in tongues. And here's the thing. God knows our nature that we're weak. We give up. Oftentimes, when you're having, how many of you have ever been in a prayer time, you don't feel it, but you're praying and all of a sudden it just like kicks in and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand, all right? And you're like, man, that was awesome. I broke through in prayer and you go off. You don't realize this, but that's when you just started praying and you should just keep going for another hour or two. You actually broke through to where you're praying. You could say prayers without really praying and then if you pray, then you begin to pray in your prayers. That's awesome. You hit this place where all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in another realm now because you just went past yourself and you've entered and and entered, if you'll just allow me to say it this way, you've entered into the spiritual realm with Jesus. And now you're in this privileged position. Do you remember Jesus when he was teaching in John 16? I'm sure you remember this text. He said, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, you're afraid, but the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna reveal the things that I've spoken. He's gonna talk to you about me. He's gonna reveal things about me. He's gonna bring things to remembrance for you. He literally says it this way. He says he's gonna take of the things of me and reveal them to you. Does anybody remember how Jesus said that? That's in John chapter 16. Does anybody? Right? So he says that, right? Here's something you miss when you don't think that through in all of its ramifications. Did Jesus right now is living to make intercession for you. He's up in heaven praying for you right now. That's what the Bible tells us. Is that cool, yes or no? I had a real serious question to ask. Just, let's just be personal, right? Um, how many of you would love to know what he's actually interceding for you in your life right now? How many would love to hear that prayer? Wouldn't that give you great confidence and boldness, right? I'd love to know what he's praying. I do know somebody who does hear what he's praying. God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit's listening in on the intercession that Jesus is making before God the Father. And he wants you to pray that will of God. Listen, we want to pray the will of God for our lives. I love that people say, I don't need to pray in tongues. I have the Bible. I'm just going to pray the Bible. The Bible's the will of God. It reveals it. How do you know you're using the right verse the right way that God wants you to use? There are 7,000 promises in the word of God, minimum. How do you know you're using the right promise the right way and what God wants you to pray and stand on? I'm not saying that he can't communicate that to you. God bless you. But how do you know? I know I'm praying the will of God when I'm praying in the spirit because when I pray in the spirit, I know it tells me in Romans 8, 26, 27, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and through us with groans too deep for words. It cannot be understood. They're beyond human words. He is interceding. But what is he interceding? 
I submit to you, he's listening in on the intercession Jesus is having for you. And then he runs from that prayer closet where Jesus is interceding for you, and he runs down to earth and then prays that through you when you're praying in tongues. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> Dean, are you saying that when I pray in tongues, I pray better than when I pray in English? Yeah. Absolutely. You know how bad this is? We're in this day and age where people are like, I, I heard somebody who's an assembly of God, very famous minister say, praying in tongues all the time, that's just a cop out. Now, I love that person, but that person was being used of the devil. That's the devil speaking. Yeah, you know what? You need to rely on your own intellect because you're smart enough. You should be praying and understanding with your mind. Yeah, how did that get planet Earth? How, how's planet Earth doing with that kind of thinking? There are churches that can't even keep it together. When they, there are churches that split over, over their thinking process of the color of the carpeting in the pews. How good are we doing in regards to debating each other because we're more involved with politics than we are in prayer? How's that working for you? We've lost our nation. Forgive me, but you've lost your state. This state is not serving God like it needs to be. Their drugs are rampant. Did we ever think that they'd be, like in Colorado, they legalized psychedelic drugs, for goodness sake. Did we ever think that they'd be legalizing gambling and legalizing marijuana and legalizing all these things that create nothing but problems? Churches today in America, the Christian cannabis movement is growing. You know what, guys? You know, we're stressed out in ministry. I've heard some ministers, there. we're stressed out in ministry and God gave this to us so we can chill out. It's something that God has given us. It's holistic. How blind do you have to be? The Bible says don't be. Hey, when you get pulled over, you don't get pulled over for drunk driving. You get pulled over for driving under the influence. God said, I don't want you under any influence except the influence of my Holy Spirit. And one day when you actually read your Bible from cover to cover, you're going to realize that the Bible says that none of his priests, none of them, could go in and minister to him in intimacy in the temple or in the tabernacle if they drank anything. Did you hear what I just said? He wants the people that, can you imagine, why on earth would you be singing about having intimacy with God? Well, on the flip side, you're trying to figure out how much under the influence of this world you can be. You're, you can't have both. God says, if you want intimacy with me, you're gonna have to surrender you know, intimacy with anything else. Without sacrifice and surrender, there is no intimacy. There is none. You know, without stretching, without pain, there is no growth. And God, God wants you to be in it. He wants you to be intimate with his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. You know, in Romans 8, 26, when he says the Holy Spirit helps us with groans and utterance that cannot be uh, uh, understood, that the word that's used for helps, <laughs> there's a lot lost in translation. And our Greek language, you know, we're a small people, a very hyper people, and uh, we have long names and big words. And when Paul's writing to the, to the Romans and he writes how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness in prayer, he uses a word that's only found in one other place in the New Testament. He uses the words, <laughs> it's three words glued together. Sinandi lavanome, that's what he says. He goes, the Holy Spirit, sinandi lavanos, you know, he helps. Sinadi Levano is three separate Greek words glued together. The, the Greek word sin, S-U-N is how you'd spell it, but it's pronounced sin. Sin means together with an intimacy, like a man and woman intimate. Uh, andi, which you know that word, it's anti, 
It means to be opposed to. In ancient Greek, it meant somebody who was a raging madman trying to pick a fight with everybody. And lamvano, which it means a couple of things, but in essence, there's a picture that's trying to paint of a continual drawing out. It's a picture of persistence, of persistence like a, a, a bucket at the end of a rope going down into a well that the job's not done until you actually get to the, where the water is and pull it up to yourself, drawing. So when Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness in prayer, it means he's in the most intimate areas of your life seen. He's opposed to all the junk of the devil and mad at all the things the devil has done in you, through you, and to you. And he's going to not stop Lombardome. He's going to keep working and working and working until the Jesus is on the inside, shows up on the outside, and around everybody all around you. Uh-huh. That's what he boom shaka, laka, laka, and that's not tongues. <laughs> now listen to me, all right? That's translated helps. <laughs> He's going to work in this incredibly powerful way inside of you to do all these things. He's going to work in this supernatural power inside of you. God wants you praying those kinds of prayers because the Holy Spirit's not going to give up. You stop. And Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And a lot of times we're like, man, the kid died. He's dead. Let's give up. It's over. And God says, raise him from the dead. Jairus, Jesus, come, my daughter is sick. Come. Jesus is walking, the crowd's touching him. The woman with the hemorrhage of blood reaches down and touches the hem of his garment. He stops, he says, ah, uh, I ain't moving. I ain't moving, who touched me? You know, Peter, crowd control. Lord, they all touching you. <laughs> I mean, everybody's touching you. He goes, no, somebody touched me and drew power from me. Everybody was touching him. Only one person drew something because only one person touched him in faith. And, and she drew a miracle. And he's like, no, I ain't leaving. Somebody's got a testimony. I ain't leaving. You know, she tried to get away with a hit and run miracle. That ain't going to work. <laughs> and so, nah. no, Jesus like, do you think Jairus was happy? I'm sure Jairus was like, would somebody just say your back was hurting and now it feels better? <laughs> Can somebody come up with, hey, Lord, my arm was kind of hurting when I was calling you to help my daughter, and now, ha, ha, look, I can rush you even more. <laughs> Are you hearing me? He's not wanting to wait around. And the woman, finally scared, says, um, okay, it was me. I was, like, bleeding and uh, all over the place, and I was kind of leaky, and um, it made me unclean. Sorry for touching everybody, but uh, he yelled me, praise him. <laughs> And everybody's like, yeah, praise God. Wait a minute, you touched me when you were bleeding. <laughs> so the testimony goes forward. And what happens? They come from Jairus' house. She's dead, don't bother him anymore. They just saw a miracle of a lady who'd been bleeding for all those years, lost all of her money, the doctors didn't do anything. And they hear this great healing testimony, but they can't bridge the gap and believe that God did any, can do this other. Well, it's one thing to plug a leak. It's another thing, they raise the dead. She's dead, bro. Don't bother him. Ask, seek, and knock. Is it any wonder in Jude, the book in the Bible, not the song from the Beatles, Jude, only one chapter, verse 20 says, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit means praying in tongues. Praying in tongues is praying the will of God, and there's a byproduct of acting spiritually and praying spiritually. The Spirit of God increases your God trust and God reliance, which is what faith is, 
and severs you from your self-reliance and self-trust. It severs you from looking with carnal eyes. How bad is it for us? You know what, this is a really bad situation. This person has this problem and so you know we can't solve it. I mean, look, we don't bug Jesus with all these things. God helps those who help themselves. Where's that in your Bible? Oh, that's in the book of Hezekiah, chapter three, Jackson five. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's in there. I always feel bad. They always say the book of Hezekiah. I'm like, he was a great king. Why do they always pick on him? I have no idea. Um, nobody like him. That's a whole other preaching, but hear this, all right? Isn't that sad? We, we eliminate the God who raises the dead, heals the sick, casts demons out of people who said that we can do all those things. That God, and we don't think he could do things anymore? This is how bad it's become. We need to be a people of the spirit of God, and that means not only getting filled with the Holy Spirit, but using this precious gift. You know, if I say stewardship, why is it we're always talking about money? Why? How good of a steward have you been of the gift of the Holy Spirit that God gave you? He gave you a prayer language that prays the will of God, builds your faith, disconnects you from your own way of looking at things and your own self-reliance and puts you on God-reliance so that God can intercede through you so that miracles can actually happen. That God can answer prayers in such a way. You know, what do we do today? We ask God to do things that we can do for ourselves, then we do them and give him credit, but we're still taking most of it. When's the last time you just said, God, it's you or nothing? I was sharing at lunch 15 years ago, well, almost 16 now, I guess. I was given a year to live, one year. And uh, the doctor looked at me and said, you're gonna die. And, and the female doctor I had in those days, she refused. I said, I'm not taking medicine. I'm not gonna do anything. If I die, I die. But I'm gonna die in faith believing. I'd rather die in faith believing. That's just my conviction. I'm not asking you to believe what I believe. I just know what the Bible says. I know what I'm supposed to believe is what I read in the Bible. Not my situations, not your testimonies, not circumstances. My faith doesn't rise and fall by the things that I see. My faith is based on the one who made the promise and I know he's faithful. And if I don't get what I'm asking for, I have no issues with that. Because I'm gonna keep asking, keep seeking, and I'm gonna keep knocking and keep praying until the answer comes as I see it and as God speaks to my spirit. And I'm gonna die in faith believing. The great faith chapter says, all these having gained approval through their faith, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, but God destined something better for us. And what did God say about those people? He said they were men and women of whom the world was not worthy. They were convinced. Your faith is not based on your symptoms, your circumstances, and all the rest. It's based on the God who made the promise. It doesn't rise and fall by circumstances or feelings. It's based on Jesus who is faithful. And I want to pray those faithful kind of prayers. So when they told me that, I said, I'm not taking any. She goes, I'm not presiding over you. You're trying to commit suicide. And I said, no, I'm going to die in faith believing if I die. Now that was 16, almost 16 years ago now. Can I tell you, doesn't it seem like I'm doing pretty good? <laughs> I'm not taking any. He said, I'm not taking any medicine. I'm not on anything. God has been good to me. I can drop that at any moment. Hopefully, right at the end of the altar call, I was sharing that. <laughs> that would be like so cool. I always wanted to give an altar call and then drop that. Like, you need to get saved because you never, you never know where you're going to meet God. And then, and then from heaven, see who's being honest and not. Oh, that'd be so awesome. I have issues. Trust me, I have issues. I lacked oxygen when I was in my mother's womb. Hear me, okay? The bottom line is, Jesus was speaking about 
receive. Now, I want to say this because you need to understand this. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to get him because he wants you to have this. He told his disciples, don't go anywhere until you're clothed with the power from on high. The clothing they lost in the garden, I want to give back to you, and I want you walking in that kind of power. I want you walking in the power and authority of what I destined you to walk in. I want you to be submitted to me, God says, and as you submit to me, everything in this world will submit to you. Disease, sickness, the demons, and all the rest. Because these are going to be the signs of my followers. They're going to pray in tongues. They're going to cast demons out of people. They're going to lay hands on sick people, and the sick people are going to get well. Because my people, when they gather together, they're not going to a bar. When they gather together, they're coming into the house of God, and things happen in their midst that shows the world that I'm there, things that transcend human understanding. Please forgive me as I kind of conclude this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to my peeps, those are my relatives, he, he wrote to them and he said, he said, your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered your heart what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things we understand by or through his spirit. The, all the good things that God has for us are not understood through intellect. I want to bring you back to what we started with in Genesis. please, Listen, Adam and Eve knew God for a period of time perfectly. Can I get an amen? We don't know how long it was. Time really wasn't rocking that the same. But the bottom, there was night, morning, he had created that stuff. But Adam and Eve walked with God for a period of time. Some theologians say a long time. Some theologians say it was very short. To be honest with you, most theologians need to get out more. <laughs> amen. <laughs> but the bottom line is they existed so they knew God perfectly in a way you and I will one day know him but have yet to know him that way. Would you agree with that? Sure. Right, that's just truth. Right, so they knew he was perfect, kind, merciful. They knew his character. They knew his... So my question is why did they run away from him? They tried to hide from him. Why? Why did they try to hide? Why did, they knew how good he was. Why did they? Why? You could say, well, shame. Well, there are a lot of people who come to church with shame, some who should probably have more than they do. Well, they were afraid. Well, there are people who come to church when they're afraid. Well, they felt guilty. Well, of course they felt guilty. There's a lot of people who probably should feel guilty, and even, they know, even though they know they're guilty, they still come to the house of God. Why didn't they? Please hear me, and I want you to hear, with everything, Holy Spirit, help everybody. They lost their ability to understand how God would respond and act because it's not understood intellectually. It's understood by revelation. Who do you say that I am? Simon says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my father who is in heaven. First Corinthians 2, you will not understand these things that God has because he reveals them by his spirit. For who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is within him? So, one knows the th so no one knows the thoughts of God. And what does God say in 1 Corinthians 2? He says, he goes, the natural man. The, the word that's used there, it's translated a bunch of different ways, that particular verse in 1 Corinthians 2. But the Greek word that's used there is the psychikos person, the psychological person, the person who follows their soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. The person who, who tries to understand the things of God through their mind, their will, and their emotions, that person, that person, it's going to look at spiritual things as nothing but foolishness. There is no way on God's green earth if you're a spiritual being in Christ 
There's no way anybody could walk in and you could be flowing. Like the beautiful message in tongues that we had in interpretation. You couldn't, I don't care how intelligent you are, how gifted of an order you are, you're never gonna be able to explain what that dynamic was to somebody who's not saved and not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's an offensive comment, it's true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is writing again to my people and he's talking about order in a service and he makes the comment, he says, if all of you are praying in tongues, and in that case, he's not talking about your prayer time, he's talking about talking to each other. When our sister came up and spoke in tongues in the microphone, pastor had already said, hey, God's got a message for us. She was addressing us. But during the time when we're worshiping God, when we worship, who are we singing to? All together, we're singing to God. When we pray, who are we talking to? We're talking to God, amen? We're talking to Jesus. If we're talking to Jesus, we could talk in any language we want to. My brother and sister from Nigeria, they can speak in their native tongue. I could speak in Greek. You could speak in Spanish. We had my sister from Malaysia. Uh, she could be speaking in, in, in whatever her particular Chinese dialect is, in Mandarin or Cantonese or Hokkien or Teochew or whatever. We could speak out loud to God in any language we want to in this house of God. Isn't that true, yes or no? But if I'm preaching to you, I need to preach in a language you understand, Amen. Are you hearing me, right? Listen to me when I say this. When we're crying out to God, we need to be able to cry out to God in the spirit. You're, there is no way on God's green earth you can explain spiritual things to people who are trying to understand God through their mind, their will, and their emotions. It's not possible. It is literally not possible. You can't because those things are foolishness to them because they're spiritually discerned. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm gonna encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 2. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.